My name is Tina Conrad, and I'm starting a podcast on my journey through breast cancer. My goal is simple, to help explain my journey in hopes that it helps one person. If you are facing breast cancer today, all I can say is that I'm sending you my love, positivity, and holding your hand. It is so scary and life-altering. And for those diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, it can be forever. If you know someone going through breast cancer, I may have a few tips, but these are from my perspective. Know that every person is a unique individual and all journeys are different. Each journey is confusing at times, non-linear, painful, but yet there is a sisterhood, a beauty, and a grace. In my own unique journey, I have found some truths, some wisdom, and tips that I will share with you. I am dedicating this entire podcast to my dear friend Sandy Clausen, my dear friend and pink sister. She passed away in July of 2018 after a recurrence of breast cancer, and she never gave up fighting. This entire podcast series is dedicated to her memory. Mercy. October in 2013. My mom went through chemo on two separate occasions, once in 2001 to 2002 with the Red Devil, Adriamycin cytoxin, and was so sick and lost her hair. The cancer came back in 2004, and this time the doctors collaborated to fight it with Taxol, which again made her lose her hair. Fortunately, it did not make her as sick. It did have some side effects of aches and pains, especially when the Michigan winters turn cold. My mom would joke, as long as my dad took her to Florida every winter, she would be fine. I honestly and naively thought I didn't need chemo. I thought I was being all proactive at the age of 37, and that with taking both my breasts, I could look forward, move forward and never look back. I remember my first oncology appointment, my wake-up call. I was in the parking lot of work, and they were suddenly able to fit me in that day but it meant that my husband, who was just with me for another appointment, couldn't go. So I went by myself. I'm very independent, but let me give you some advice. No one awaiting a cancer diagnosis should be by themselves. Take a trusted friend, a loved one. Have someone there, a coworker, just to take notes and be part of your support team. It wasn't intentional on my part, but I had no one at this time. I went into a reality of a waiting room of cancer patients, all kinds of people with no hair, every sick looking person, magazines of cancer subscriptions. Meanwhile, I was there and I felt healthy looking for my Us Weekly magazines and people. I was sure that I was out of place. I knew it and the doctors had to see it too. I was called to the back and my first appointment was like a sinking ship. Not only did my oncologist want me to do chemo, but I had two kinds of chemo. Both the chemos my mom had, four rounds of highly aggressive AC, 
followed by 12 rounds of Taxol, each with many side effects. AC was notorious for heart complications, and Taxol notorious for loss of feeling and dexterity in extremities. All of the information being passed along was blocked by the disbelief that I even needed chemo in the first place. I was healthy. I was strong. I was a runner. I could not and would not become like the zombies I saw in that waiting room. I went to my car and called my mom from the parking lot. I told her everything. I told her I couldn't be like them. I cried and I cried and I cried. And even though she was seven and a half hours drive away, I knew she would have given anything to be with me that day. She reminded me how beautiful I was and that I would never be like the zombies in the waiting room. I would be beautiful and full of life and fight with everything I had. I found out rather quickly the business side of all cancer, that at the age of 37, with a full insurance policy behind me, I was actually a desirable recipient. No Medicare, but straight up Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and with that came some politics. I had visited at the Cancer Center at Advocate Sherman Hospital and loved the privacy and serenity. My oncologist's office also had a treatment center, and he wanted to treat me there. It was that same place with the same sad wallpaper and the same sad cancer magazine in the waiting room. I kept saying that Sears, who I worked for at the time in merchandising for the home department, should go up in there and spruce up the place. You know, a few throw pillows, some vases, maybe some lamps with some soft lighting, and blankets for everyone. Then, maybe then, I would actually want to go. My nurse navigator worked with me to essentially get an exception so that I could get my treatments at the cancer center. I know there was a lot of politics behind the scenes, but thankfully my nurse navigator was always looking out for her patient's best wishes. I had a friend, Heidi, who had a heart transplant in her 30s and was my co-worker at, for years at Sears Kmart. And she would receive regular infusions, and sometimes we would line up our schedules and try to act like this was a normal thing, like a coffee trip or something. But let me tell you, we ruled that damn cancer center. The nurses loved us, and we loved them. I found out that oncology nurses are actually quite the partiers and could definitely drink with the best of them. I think with such difficult jobs, it was often a way for them to escape the daily reality of cancer they saw each and every day. I honestly believe that all of them would give up their jobs if cancer could just be cured. The nurses that administered my chemo were some of the best, salt-of-the-earth people, and my heart went out to them each and every day. On 10-17, D-Day, my first chemo, I went in like a lion, literally, with Katy Perry's roar song fighting, playing in my SUV, some reports packed along in my work bag. We were on my way, on the way to the hospital, my husband and a teen, Tina T. I felt scared, but I also felt like I was brave and strong and nothing could stop me. My coworkers packed me the nicest present of a Vera Bradley tote bag. Ironically, that's where I work now. A blanket, some sweet and salty granola bars, slippers, and a whole lot of other goodies. Let me just pause and say what an amazing and thoughtful gift this was. I'm not saying this is a plug for Vera Bradley, but the thought and the love that went into my team's gift still brings me to tears today. Blankets and slippers for the cancer center to keep me warm, since so many of the medicines get you cold and tired. A tote bag with all kinds of pockets for me to put my iPad in, headphones, magazines. You have to understand that even though I was going through chemo, 
I had to somehow feel normal. Pinterest, fashion and Hollywood magazines, those were my outlet. As the Benadryl pre-meds pushed through, I felt a wave of sleepiness. Then I watched as the red adriamycin dripped from my IV bag, followed by cytoxin. This fancy cocktail flowing through my brain, trying to kill cancer cells, however also doing damage to good cells as well. I look back at my journal for that day, and it was full of optimism and fight. Watch out, cancer. You're about to get served. Team Tina is going to fight back. That first chemo was a red devil. Despite my strength, my co confidence, my optimism, my body felt crazy sick about 4 p.m. that afternoon at home. I went to bed and woke up at 2 a.m. with more nausea. I kept taking the anti-nausea meds, but it was like I was too late. They had the lead, and I was too far behind to catch up. John ran out to the gas station to get me some Gatorade. Water just didn't sound good. Actually, I've come to hate water because of my treatment, and even today the sight of Ice Mountain can make me a little queasy. I knew I had to drink some water, so I started drinking sparkling water. Somehow the bubbles were just much more refreshing and had better taste. Still five years later, and I'm still on the seltzer bandwagon. I walked as soon as I got home from chemo and walked the next day. I walked when I didn't want to. I walked to pass the time because somehow each step felt closer to recovery. I walked to forget that I had cancer. The benefits of exercise on any given day are amazing, but the benefits of exercise following chemo, if you can, are even more reason to walk. Walking helps to get the blood flow moving, and as much as chemo is there to serve a purpose, you also want to get rid of it as soon as possible. Drinking lots of water, yep, water, and walking, which gets the blood flowing, are all good things. It was a rough couple of days. My dear cousin and goddaughter, along with my mom, drove all the way from Michigan to Chicago suburbs to be with me. I watched from the back patio as my beautiful goddaughter played in the trees in my backyard, carefree and full of life. We colored pictures together and watched TV and movies, but I didn't really leave the couch. I just felt sick. My chemo was on a Thursday, and my cousin and my mom arrived Friday night, but even Saturday and into Sunday morning, it was still difficult. My no appetite killed my mom. My mom was seriously put on this planet to feed people. It's her God-given talent, among many other things. But she is all about food. She was ready and waiting in the wings to make me anything that sounded good. The problem is, I wanted nothing. I felt like those wolves in the Twilight series with a sense of smell from a mile away. My sense of smell was amplified like times a million, which made it even worse. My cousin was making pancakes Sunday morning, 72 hours after my chemo, and I had to leave the floor. I didn't even realize that pancakes had a smell, or if they did, that it was bad but I just couldn't take it. My mom left sadly back to Michigan with making me no food, but I told her if she cooked me something, I would throw up and not to make anything, please. So she reluctantly agreed. They left on their trek back to Michigan and slowly a wave of hunger struck. It wasn't that I was starving, but all of a sudden pizza kind of sounded good. And not just any pizza, but Napoli pizza from Woodstock, Illinois, specifically thin crust cheese. You could have given me any other pizza, and I would have turned it down. These crazy cravings happen this way each and every time after chemo. 
I would know that I turned the corner when a food started to sound good. And each time it was very specific and only that would do. One time I needed a Mexican burrito and another time it was KFC mashed potatoes. I would eat about a saltine cracker a day and a teaspoon of cream of wheat for days after chemo. But then slowly the fog would lift and I would become a ravenous human being again. I learned to get smarter too about what I ate heading into chemo. I'm, not, I'm sure we can all remember the foods we threw up on in grade school and then put them on like a year long ban. For me, it was chicken chow mein, blueberry muffins, and Apian Way pizza. Well, it was sort of that same way with chemo. Whatever I had for lunch heading in, I then hated. One time I thought, oh, I'm gonna be smart. I'm gonna have a Jimmy John's sub. I don't really care if I hate that anyway. There's plenty of other options for sandwiches. Well, I mistakenly selected a California sub with guacamole and ended up so disturbed with avocados for like a year. Thankfully, that didn't stick forever and my love affair with avocados is back in full force. Regardless, don't go into chemo with your favorite food. Eat something you can live without, condiments and sauce included. I found myself back at work on Monday in an open parking garage and someone was smoking a football field away from me and I was so disgusted and almost nauseous. My sensitivity and sense of smell were just crazy, like in hyperdrive. Someone at work had gone through breast cancer and she recommended Amend, a pre-chemo anti-nausea series of pills after I told her how sick I was. I spoke to my oncologist and he prescribed this for me for the remainder of my AC treatments and it actually made a huge difference. I never was hungry right after chemo, and my fog still lasted for about three days, but I didn't throw up once I started on the amend. I would just be tired and sleepy. I could handle tired and sleepy, but not knowing if you're gonna throw up for any second for 72 hours, now that really sucks. I never was pregnant, but I totally understand the concept of morning sickness. Now for the worst part. Let's talk about hair. So much of a woman's identity is tied to her hair. You know, a co-walker walks into work with just a trim and every other chick in the office notices. Highlights, lowlights, straight or beachy waves, long or pixie short. As females, we definitely use our hair as part of our identity and expression of inner selves. After my first appointment with my oncologist after chemo, I proudly proclaimed that I still had my hair and maybe I wouldn't lose it. He reached out, plucked a small piece and said, mm, sorry, that's not the case. As part of Ulta's breast cancer campaign that year, you could get a haircut at their salon for a $10 donation to breast cancer. I decided to get it cut shorter so that it wouldn't be as difficult watching those long strands fall out. Truth be told, I love that shortcut. Before my second chemo on Halloween, I walked into a sports clip with my husband, the only place open at that time of night, and immediately they turned to my husband. I told him I needed a buzz cut and explained the situation at hand. I could tell they felt bad for me. They even gave me a senior discount. In my mind, it was okay for me to lose my hair at a salon. Yes, even a sports clip. But somehow the comfort of the salon chairs, the salon sinks, and wearing that salon apron just made it feel okay. Even seeing it on the floor seemed normal. I just couldn't face seeing it in my house sink. It was a matter of control and principle. This was one tiny thing that I had to have the upper hand with. F you cancer, 
I'll take my own damn hair before you can. I learned a lesson in all of this, that I 100% absolutely can rock a shaved head. Now I have no plans to go back to my shaved head, but I've been told that I have a nicely shaped head, so I have that going for me. But with some hoop earrings and some red lipstick, I felt strong and feminine. I still felt like me. It was hard though, looking at pictures from my wedding just six months prior and my blonde, blonde long hair and staring really hard at this person that I knew was me, but also didn't look like me in the mirror. I did go to a wig fitting with some friends and coworkers and had a few wigs. My mom really loved her wigs and didn't feel comfortable even leaving the house without one, but I mostly love my shaved head. It was kind of like a rebellion, Sinead O'Connor style. Plus, with all the menopausal action chemo was putting me under, it was nice and cool for sleeping. Chemo sucked for me. I don't know what else to say. It was the worst part. Not only was the AC a wrecking ball, but followed by 12 sessions of Taxol, week after week after week, took its toll on me not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. It was mid-January and I had been working when I could, but was feeling run down and like a cold was coming on. I had gone to a support group meeting and my brain was fried from work. My work life was just not healthy. Up at 5.30 a.m., out of the house by 6.30 a.m., lucky to be home by 7 p.m., with often dinner and a few follow-up emails. There was no time for me, for self-care. My life, it revolved around work. Deep down, I knew this pace was unsustainable. I decided to work from home, but then was getting called at home to see if I could call in and speak at a conference call. I was feeling sick and there were just no healthy boundaries. I spoke to my oncologist, Dr. Singh, and I will never forget this conversation. I explained my work situation, and he knew I had a prestigious but stressful job. He asked me point blank, who is your advocate at work? Almost stuttering, I said, well, my, my boss supports me. And firmly, he said, no, who is your advocate? I said, well, I don't have one. Sure, I'd spoken with HR. Sears was a big company, but it was more about the benefits of medical leave and much less about self-care. Dr. Singh said to me, well, then I seriously need you to consider taking a medical leave. I was a tough cookie. I'd probably called into work sick maybe two times in my 12 years of work outside of this cancer diagnosis. It took a lot for me to admit that I needed a break. I went to sleep and woke up thinking about my loved ones. My husband, my mom and dad, my brother, my goddaughter. I was doing everything medically possible at this time to get rid of cancer. But was I really doing everything by continuing to work? Now I know of many people that find work fulfilling during a cancer diagnosis, and I won't dispute that it can help you to feel normal. But in my case, I needed time for me, time to focus inward on healing from the inside out. My oncologist left me with one final parting message. You need to do something every day that makes you happy. My boss wasn't surprised when I told her I was taking a medical leave. In fact, she seemed almost surprised that it took me that long. I'm such a people pleaser, and I probably should have just done it sooner. It's strange not going to work every day, but I will tell you, for this type A person that I am, I enjoyed every last minute. I took the advice of my oncologist to heart. I did find joy in every day. I found joy in the simplest things in life. 
in finding my breath in yoga, in cooking from scratch a pizza dough, in challenging my brain to stay sharp with lumosity, in walking around my subdivision, in watching the snow fall and fall. It did fall. It was the polar vortex that year in the Midwest. With chemo every Thursday, I fell into a new routine. I found some craft projects to do, but I didn't let myself get stressed. I focused on being present. I did a yoga DVD every day that a coworker gave me and had tears in my eyes as they talked about surrender. Work was all about the push and the drive and the aggression, but I was totally unbalanced. I needed more surrender, more pull, more yang, more forgiveness, and more mindfulness. Cancer to me is somewhat like training for a marathon. It's a lot of effort over a lot of time. It's hard work, it's exhausting, but it's much better when you have a team or support. I would always say, celebrate the milestones. First of all, life is worth celebrating each and every day, but honoring each milestone acknowledges how far you've come in body, mind, and spirit. Completing chemo was worthy of a pink party, and we celebrated with 20 to 30 people, mainly coworkers, with my favorite Chicago pizza, homemade cookies, and I made a photo board to celebrate and show my journey. Chemo was almost six months of my life, the hardest physically I've ever been through, but I learned a lot about my spirit, my grit, and my determination. My Tina tip for this episode is, if chemo is making you very sick, tell your doctor you need some additional pre-meds. I was told through another survivor about AMEND, E-M-E-N-D, and it was truly life-changing from the first chemo without it to the next three rounds with it. Now, I'm not a complainer, but you don't need to suffer more than you already are. Talk to your doctor about additional pre-meds if you find yourself really sick the first time. Another Tina tip is your nails. They will definitely suffer during chemo. I found tea tree oil and Sally Henson's Hard as Nails to be very, very helpful, and I applied those all the time. Thank you again for your time. This is Tina Conrad with DJ Breast Cancer. Next up is radiation. Whiskey is quicker. I would love to hear from you and any future topics you have. My email is djbreastcancer at gmail.com. Thanks again for coming with me on this journey.